So my first question is, how did your childhood in the Bronx inform who you became as an adult? I mean, I'm, I'm a product of the Bronx. Um, I spent most of my life in poverty. I was raised by a single mother who had to raise three children on minimum wage, which in the 1990s was $4.25 an hour. And I grew up in public housing, and living in conditions of mold and mildew, leaks and lead, uh, without consistent heat or hot water in the winter. And those experiences um, shape not only who I am as a person, but also as a public official. Um, I grew up in a, my life is something of a metaphor because I grew up in a public housing development right across the street from what ultimately became Trump Golf Course. Wow. And as I saw, yeah, actually something funny, you know, when the golf course was undergoing construction, it unleashed a skunk infestation. So I, I, I often tell people I've been smelling the stench of Donald Trump well before he became president. That's a rich sense of irony, I guess I have to say. But as I saw the conditions in my own home get worse, right across the street, the government had invested more than $100 million in a golf course for Donald Trump. And I remember wondering to myself at the time, what does it say about our society? that we are more willing to invest in a golf course than in the homes of low-income black and brown Americans. So would you and say, so, oh, sorry. Yeah. So instead of, yeah, I said to myself, instead of standing by passively on the sidelines, you know, I have to become the change I wish to see in the world. And so I got my start as a housing organizer. And then eventually I took the leap of faith and ran for public office. Uh, I was 24, had no ties to the party machine, no ties to the dynasties of Bronx politics, but I was young and energetic and I knocked on thousands of doors, I went to people's homes, I heard their stories, and I won my first campaign on the strength of door-to-door, face-to-face campaigning. I became the first openly LGBTQ elected official from the Bronx. So you actually already touched on a couple of my questions, but I wanted to ask, being an openly LGBTQ, the youngest elected city official at the time, what did that accomplishment mean to you in that moment? Uh, I think it has several implications. I mean, first, we are all products of our identities and lived experiences. Right? Who we are as people will shape what we do as policymakers. And it's important to have openly LGBTQ policymakers in the room where decisions are made. A wise person once said, if you do not have a seat at the table, then you're probably on the menu. And my election means that LGBTQ people of color in particular will have a seat at one of the most powerful tables, the United States Congress. So it 
it has implications. It matters when it comes to policy, but it also matters when it comes to people. But I am a symbol of what is possible. But I represent the possibility that an LGBTQ kid from a place like the Bronx could be a member of the United States Congress. Right. And LGBTQ visibility in media and in politics um, is powerfully, is both inspiring and normalizing. So, as you already stated, you and Mondeer Jones, also from New York, are the first yep. openly gay black men elected to Congress. I'm curious to know, have you had discussions with him about sort of this moment in time? Oh, no, I, I, I met Mondeer for the first time four years ago. And... Oh. You know, he, I remember when I met Mondeo for the first time four years ago, we had a conversation about the lack of LGBTQ representation of color in New York State politics. And I never imagined that four years later, he and I would become the first openly LGBTQ black members of the United States Congress. So we, we certainly had conversations about it as, as far back as four years ago. Well, it certainly seems like a bit of foreshadowing. That's interesting how things panned out. Um, thinking about Congress overall, the 116th Congress was most diverse in history. The 117th is likely to follow. To you, what does it say about the trajectory of the United States that Congress is continually more diverse? I think America is increasingly becoming a multiracial, multi-ethnic, inclusive democracy. Uh, I think we are witnessing the collapse of politics as an old voice network. And I'm part of a new generation of young leaders who are more progressive, more disruptive, and every bit as diverse as America itself. Congress is becoming what it really should have been, a miniaturization of America itself. I like that description. So, um, rounding back a little bit, you talked a little bit about how you grew up, but I'm curious, who do you consider your role models, either then or now? I mean, I have admiration for some of our greatest presidents, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, I have admiration for great legislators like Ted Kennedy. You know, I, I hope to be a great legislator one day in the United States Congress. I hope to build a legacy that Outlives me. <laughs> I look forward to it. But um, thinking back about your community in the Bronx, how have you seen your own personal community impacted by the year 2020? It's been a crazy year for everybody. 
But COVID-19 has been a catastrophe for the city and the country. And the South Bronx has been the epicenter of COVID-19. The South Bronx had the highest rate of COVID-19 morbidity and mortality during the peak of the pandemic. And just as destructive as COVID-19 itself were the deeper inequalities that were brought to light. The inequalities in health, the racial inequalities, the class inequalities, the digital inequalities. Um, you know, what we need is not only a vaccination for COVID-19 itself, we need a vaccination for the deeper inequalities that have been laid bare by COVID-19. So the Black Lives Matter movement, it's no surprise, it's gained more momentum, more attention, more power than ever in 2020. But of course, I'm, as I'm sure you know, much work remains. What do you consider the first steps to rectifying racial injustices in the United States or even within your own community? We need to, we need to bring greater accountability to policing in America. So where there is no accountability, there will never be an end to police brutality. Officers are never held accountable for abusing their power. And there's no incentive for de-escalation. There's no incentive for restraint. So I'm in favor of bringing accountability, including but not limited to abolishing qualified immunity. Like qualified immunity in America has become a license to brutalize black and brown lives. And the time has come for the time has come to end qualified immunity in America. So stemming off of that, what do you consider your signature issues? I mean, my greatest passion is affordable housing. Okay. You know, I would not be where I am today were not for affordable housing and the stability keeping in my family. And for me, affordable housing is not simply brick and mortar. It's the foundation on which you build a better life for yourself and your family. And so I'm in, I'm going to, I'm on a mission to secure more funding for public housing, which in New York City has a capital need of $40 billion in county. Are on a mission to expand the Section 8 program so that all families in need can have access to a housing voucher, which would cap rent at 30% of income. And then I'm, and for me, the surest way to stimulate the economy is to put money in the pockets of struggling families. Like what we need are permanent stimulus checks in the form of an expanded child tax credit. So the child tax credit is the single largest tax expenditure on families in America. But the structure of the child tax credit is so regressive that it excludes a third of American families, particularly the poorest families in America. And in the South Bronx, two-thirds of families there are excluded from the full benefit of the child tax credit. 
So if we were to expand the child tax credit to the, to include the poorest families, it would cut child poverty by 40% in the span of a single year. It would bring, it would put as much as $300 per child every month in the pockets of families struggling during COVID. Uh, it's the equivalent of the permanent stimulus check. You know, the, the, expander, the, the expansion of the child tax credit would represent a game changer when it comes to ending child poverty and stimulating the economy. So is it safe to say that both affordable housing and this tax reform are the first issues that you hope to address when you assume office in January? Without question. Like for me, the central mission of my life is to fight poverty in America, racially concentrated poverty in America. Hmm. You know, the South Bronx is said to be the poorest congressional district in America. And if we can make progressive governance work in the South Bronx, we can make it work anywhere. So switching gears a little bit, after the, I guess the best word would be disaster in November following the election, the runoffs in Georgia are seen as a key moment for both the Democratic Party and the nation in general. So I'm just curious about your general thoughts on the runoff, if you've been in touch with anybody. Um, yes. I think the, the, the stakes are supremely important. Um, you know, there are issues on which there is a bicameral, bipartisan, filibuster-proof majority. But, but as long as Mitch McConnell refuses to bring critical bills to the floor for a vote, there's a limit to what we can accomplish. Like, there's a ceiling on how far we can move the country forward. Uh, for me, Mitch McConnell is the single greatest obstruction on the path of our progress. Hmm. So winning, winning those two seats in Georgia are essential. Is essential. Um. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, um, yeah. switching gears a little bit to sort of a couple more personal questions. You've discussed struggling with your mental health in a public way, and I'm curious as to why this is a topic you've been so open with in the past. Look, I feel a deep sense of obligation to speak openly about my own struggles with depression in order to break the shame and silence and stigma that often surrounds mental health. You know, if I were to be silent about my own struggles with mental health, there's a sense in which I'm perpetuating the stigma. And I become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. That's definitely powerful. Um, and then... And then I want to show that you know, there's a way forward. You know, seven years before I ran for the city council, I was at the lowest point in my life. I had dropped out of college. I found myself abusing substances. I lost my best friend to an opioid overdose. 
I felt as if the world around me had collapsed. There were moments when I thought of taking my own life. And then seven years later, I became the youngest elected official in the largest city in America. And today I'm about to become a United States congressman. You know, I would not be alive today, much less a member of the United States Congress, were it not for mental health care, which saved my life. And I want to, it's important for me to send a powerful message that recovery is possible. So you, you, you can have, you can struggle with depression as I have done. You can take an antidepressant as I do every day. And, and find normalcy and stability in your life. So seven years ago, like you said, this was. An incredible journey. We're 14 years from, 14, seven years from the planet in which I ran for a council. Sorry. But, uh, 14 years ago, yeah. So 14 years ago, you've undergone this incredible transformation in your life and you're about to become a congressman. So I'm curious, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? (laughs) I I don't know. And at some level, I don't care. You know, I have a rule. I never get ahead of myself. I never put the politics ahead of the governance. Um, my, my goal is to excel as a member of Congress. And I'm confident that if I govern effectively, if I excel as a member of Congress, a Congress, then the politics will take care of itself. Right? There are going to be people who want me to go farther, to rise to the next level. But I refuse to calculate my next step. I refuse to obsess about the long-term politics. Uh, I, I prefer, and I'm intent on succeeding in the present, in the here and now, focusing on being the best congressman that I can be. Fair enough. Um... I want the dice forwarding me. So, after such a lovely answer, I'm going to answer, ask another question about the future. But um, in recent days, polls have uh, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang as a frontrunner for mayor of New York City. I was wondering if you've been in conversations with Andrew Yang or your thoughts on the mayoral race in general. The mayor's race is fluid and wide open. And anyone who claims to have it figured out is lying. Uh, there's no telling how it's going to unfold. It's fluid, it's wide open, and it's full of more than one credible candidate. So. Okay. And then regarding sort of your um, peers in Congress, the sort of younger generation, specifically these. Um, the women that are typically referred to as the squad. I'm yeah. curious what you think of sort of these 
would it be appropriate to call them your progressive counterparts, um, collaborators? Because I saw recently in the news that you had publicly disagreed with them on the point of Israel. So I was just intrigued to hear about your relationship and how you frame No, I, I, I to, to be clear, I never announced that I was not going to be in the squad. <laughs> I would never issue an announcement that I'm not going to be part of something. Mm-hmm. That would be an odd thing to do. Um, but whenever I'm asked about the squad, I, I simply state that I'm my own person and I prefer to be judged on the basis of my own story and my own record on my own terms. I refuse to define myself in relation to or in opposition to someone else that that is a game that I have no interest in playing. Um, and so that, that's how I approach it. Um, I'm willing to work with anyone and everyone in the service of delivering for the people of the South Bronx. That is my highest priority. That is my focus. So in that vein, is that because some of the progressive politicians entering Congress are have declared that they're not really interested in working with particularly more conservative Democrats or more specifically the opposite party. Is this not a fair way to characterize you? Would you say that you're willing to? Oh, I, I'm, I'm willing to work with everyone on the issues on which I agree with them. By Josh Hawley, who's a Republican, worked with Bernie Sanders, who's a Democrat, to advocate for stimulus checks for the American people. That's the kind of bipartisanship I can believe in. So I have no absolute rule against bipartisan collaboration. It depends on the issue. Like I'm willing to work with anyone anywhere in the service of advancing policies that will improve the lives of the people I represent. Right. So going off of that, the stimulus check, the news came out today, the president, he's doing his own thing in efforts to block it. What are your thoughts on the stimulus check payments, especially for a community? I, I actually, I never thought I would say this. I agree with Donald Trump. We should increase it to 2000. So you would agree with him vetoing the bill altogether? No, I agree that we should increase it to $2,000. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm at my last question. I'm curious what is one piece of advice you would give the younger generation looking up to you? They see this person who has sort of overcome mental health issues, have learned to work with them and live with them, are openly LGBTQ, have become a member of Congress. It's very easy to see how someone might admire you. So I'd be curious what you would tell them. Be grateful for we are all only as strong as the support we have in our lives and be grateful for the supporters you have, the friends and family. You know, I I would not be here today were not for the friendship of people who believed in me more than I believed in myself and know who those people are and value them and be grateful for them. That's very good advice. Um, 
so that's all the questions that I have. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it, especially on this Christmas Eve Eve. It's it's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Have a happy holiday. Bye-bye.